What's going on guys? Our RTP virtual summit uh, has now come to a conclusion. Uh, we hope all of you guys really, really enjoyed it. We had over a thousand coaches sign up for it. Um, uh, hopefully you guys took a lot out of it. We had a blast. I want to say thank you again to the 14 coaches that spent an hour out of their days. You know, I'm sure even more than that, getting these cutups ready and these videos ready. Uh, but spend an hour filming these clinics and putting them up for you guys. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, we're really glad we got to broadcast that live for free. If you miss any of them or you want to go back through and check those out, uh, we are selling our all access pass. Um, it is now bumped up to $105, but if you are a premium member for only $12 a month, uh, you get that uh, all access pass for only 50 bucks. So uh, if you're looking to cut costs uh, and it were me, I would be a, become a premium member for a month um, and then I would get the all access pass and then I would try out premium for a month. And if I didn't like it, cancel it and uh, still get uh, that great deal on the all access pass because we've got some great clinics in there. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R dot com. Make sure you guys put in the code RTP. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Sports Performance Tracking, or SPT. Sports Performance Tracking is a wearable GPS device that athletes can actually wear during football games. GPS analytics has been used at the pro level, but never filtered its way all the way down to college and high school until now. With GPS tracking, coaches can measure workload of a player to ensure that they aren't overworking or underworking. SPT is used by almost 25,000 athletes around the globe, from professional football clubs in Europe to high schools in Texas. SPT allows coaches to understand their players' fitness levels and compare to other players. One coach for the University of Louisiana Monroe said, there's no more hiding behind effort. Get the best out of your players and keep them injury-free with SPT. Go to sptgps.com for more information. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Just Play. Whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation, Just Play has a solution for you. They have recently released a new product called My Just Play. My Just Play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels, from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Dan Casey. Coach Casey is the head coach at St. David's School in Raleigh, North Carolina. Listen as we talk with Coach Casey about his unique journey through Davidson and Duke Divinity School to become a head football coach at a private school in Raleigh and his passion for learning and sharing football via Twitter with videos and just play uh, football diagrams. You can follow Coach Casey on Twitter at Coach Dan Casey. Hope you guys enjoy.
Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well, just talking about my new uh, Starbucks habit. (laughs) Oh, boy, it's dangerous. I was against it. I can't let that get out uh, to anybody. I had to let – I had to vent to a couple of coaches, let them know. But I found out about this thing called uh, espresso, which I'd never heard about. And you can get, like, four shots of espresso on ice. And it's been my go-to now these past couple of days. And it actually works a lot better than my Monsters. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's the real deal. I didn't drink coffee until I got married. <laughs> I don't think I've had a day go by that I haven't had it since. So. Uh, that's what – well, normally when we go back to school, I'll, I'll get the free coffee that we just have in the office. But right now I'm getting the real, you know, the real deal stuff that will keep you up at night. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's the good stuff, though. Well, you <laughs> that's can, exactly you right. You can buy an espresso machine there, Harp. I mean, well I might fully automated. You like to do it yourself anyway. I might have to do that. It's worth it. It's worth it. It is because I was spending way too much. I was already spending way too much money on monsters. I was getting like two or three big ones a day, just rolling through the day. And then I was like, all right, I got to stop this, but I still drink coffee. Then I tried this one and I was like, gosh, I mean, this is the real deal. That's what I need. So I'm going to have to just get my own. Well, I was, I was always again, like I I had this weird thing when I was playing about caffeine because I just like had it ingrained in my head that it was bad for you as a, as an athlete. Right. Which not actually true, but um, <laughs> I, was, I was talking to some some guys that ran like did decathlon in Europe, and they would like pound espressos before their training sessions hmm. and just yeah. kill it. And uh, and then like the more I started talking with people, they're like, "Yeah, caffeine, great, uh, great performance enhancing drug." There, they talk about it as like <clears throat> the pre work stuff, you know, the NAS and. The- the NO2s and all that stuff. Everyone's just like, dude, just drink black coffee. They say that's the best pre-workout you can possibly use. Exactly. It's good stuff. There's that. We've, I've tried to get them to be uh, sponsors a couple times, and they, they act interested, but then uh, kind of backed out at the last second. But there's a company, I think, called Grinds, and they just have, like, these coffee pouches, and it's, okay. like, it's like a dip pouch except for it's all coffee. So I'm still wanting to try that out. I'm, I'm hoping maybe that'll – help the the caffeine buzz that I need every day see I think uh so my my brother-in-law he actually played with me in college and ended up marrying my sister and uh he's now an army ranger stationed over in Germany and when he was going through ranger school he'd have guys um just stick coffee grounds in that in their lip to stay up for six straight hours they they had to get creative yeah no doubt if it works for ranger school, it works for me. I'm down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me to be able to sit around at school and, and teach and, and coach football, I think it'll work for me. I think so. I think. <laughs> well, Coach, let's go ahead and get it going. Um, you know, how we always start this is kind of let you introduce yourself and, and kind of, uh, you know, your football journey, if you will, to uh, from playing days up to uh, what you're doing now. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I – as a kid um, – Growing up, I'm, I moved a lot. I actually played high school football at three different high schools in three different states. Um, so I had kind of a, a wild journey through high school and then ended up landing at Davidson College, um, just north of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, we're, we're well known for Steph Curry. That's kind of our, our claim to fame in basketball. <laughs> but we, believe it or not, we do have a football team. Um, unfortunately, when I was playing there, we, we struggled. We did not have uh, a ton of success on the field, but I think they're starting to get, get things going in the right direction now. Um, but then when I finished up my playing career, I was kind of trying to figure out um, what I was going to do the rest of my life. Um, and so I initially um, 
went to Duke for seminary thinking I would be a pastor, maybe start a church or something like that. And then um, that first year when I was at Duke, I got a call from a, a local school and they were looking for um, a football coach. And so I, I signed up for it and just really fell in love with it right from the get go. Um, it, it's been it's been a cool journey. Um, I've definitely learned a ton. I've been able to connect with so many, um, so many amazing guys in the profession, which has been um, one of my favorite parts, just how open and willing people are to share. Obviously, like just the stuff you guys are doing at, at Run the Power, um, the, the podcast, getting different guys um, connected and sharing different things is, is really cool. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, I think through that, I've uh, really just kind of fallen in love with the, the football coaching stuff um, and, and definitely like see it as a way that I can uh, can share my faith and, and help kids out and help them reach their fullest potential. Um, and so it kind of scratches both itches for me. It really, it really kind of, kind of covers everything. So coaching has definitely become quickly become a passion of mine. That's why I think the hardest part for me when I stopped playing football was like that. And luckily I got into coaching really, really quick, you know, within a few months. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't that big of a deal, but um, you know, the, the toughest part for me was like you said, it's like you're around, 80 other guys and you're you're all um I don't I don't ever go as far normally as to say brothers but you're all super super close and do anything for these guys and and you you know you work through all the tough stuff together and just having that group a bond of of men that you're around that uh, most of the time are are other tough um tough dudes that are interested in the same things you are with football you know so you're you're in that group that pack whatever you want and I, I know there's a lot of books about that as well but um not just with football, just with having that pack or that group, that hunting group, whatever that is. But uh, going out of that and being away from that, that was those first few months was the toughest part for me. It was like, I don't, I don't have that group anymore. Now you're just kind of on your own. What do you do? You know? And so luckily I got back into coaching. And so now you're not around as many people like that, but you've normally got at least, you know, however many on your staff, there's going to be quite a few normally on your staff that think similar to you, enjoy being up around it. And, also love football and you kind of get a smaller group, but you still have a group of men to be around and, and kind of sharpen your, your sword, if you will, uh, on those guys. Absolutely. Well, I think that's such an underrated, underrated thing that not many people talk or not enough people talk about is the transition from your playing career to the rest of your life. I mean, I just, I remember as soon as, you know, the final whistle blew on my college career, I, I kind of slipped into a little bit of depression. I mean, I, I really struggled. I didn't have that um, community aspect of the team. I mean, when I was playing, you know, getting up at 5am for workouts, you know, it, it sucks. But like, at the same time, you can do it so easily, because you've got 100 other guys doing it with you. And then when you all of a sudden transition, and you're completely on your own, you're trying to manage your time, you're trying to manage your, your nutrition, you're trying to manage your own physical condition, like it's, it's really hard to do that all by yourself. After you've been doing it for years with 100 other guys. And, and, you know, some of the, you know, what I think of as like the manly type characteristics are all brought out and all, are all good things when you're playing football. It's like when you're a dominant person or, you know, kind of that alpha male thought or you talk a little smack or whatever that is, it's all kind of good stuff and fun stuff and sometimes yeah. makes you an even better football player than you step out of football. Now all that stuff's kind of shunned and pushed down and you shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't, you know, all this stuff. And so then it's like, oh, uh, you know, you almost have to reprogram your brain. And then, like you said, if, if you haven't put enough 
of the stock of you and a person outside of football, then, then you're really going to crash down. And, and I think we had, uh, I mean, 30,000 people come in and say, you're not just a football player. You're not just this and that. And, you know, I obviously always just try, dis, disregarded them. It's like, no, you weren't because you weren't a good enough football player, but I am. And the baddest dudes, they can, they are. And then when mine was done, I was like, oh, okay, guess I'm not. And that took me a few years to, to figure out. But, um, you know, they were right, and, and they always are when, with that one. But, it's, again, it's a tough thing to start trying to figure out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, I mean, I was, I was the type of guy, too, that, you know, probably – I probably thought I was a little bit better than I actually was. And I, you know, tried to keep playing afterward and worked out for a few CFL teams, didn't make it, you know? And so I, I think I was kind of also dealing with some of the disillusionment of, you know, trying to hold on to that playing career as long as I could. Um, and then when I finally kind of made my peace with that, uh, that's really when the transition to coaching happened. And that was just a way that I could pour that energy and passion somewhere. And, you know, for me, one of the most exciting parts about playing was, you know, discovering something new or like figuring out what your opponent was trying to get done. And not, I played on the defensive side of the ball as a safety um, and figuring out what they're trying to do and, and shutting it down. And, you know, I, I just remember like when the light bulb would go off as a player and then on the other side of it, getting to see that happen for, for the kids that you're coaching, these, these young 15, 16, 17 year old kids, um, you share something with them and that same light bulb goes off and you, you think back to your playing days and when that happened for you. And that's, you know, such a fulfilling feeling. And I, I don't think I expected it, but the, I remember the first time it happened, I was just like, man, I, I think I can do this the rest of my life. Like I can keep sharing these little things and see, see their eyes light up just like mine did when I was a player. Coach, did you say you're kind of driven by mastery? I know I, I see you on uh, social media a lot and you like to share, you know, new plays and, and things you're seeing and, and staying current. <clears throat> and that's kind of the, the same thing with me. If, if I see something and I want to, you know, go after it, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be the best at it. Would you say that's kind of one of your characteristics, no matter what to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's one of the coolest things about getting into coaching and I'm young. I mean, I'm just kind of right at the beginning of my, of my journey with, with coaching football, but, um, it's so exciting because you can like store up all this knowledge and still not even scratch the surface of all that's out there. Um, and that's, that's really exciting for me because, you know, I don't want to get to the point where I don't have any more questions to ask or I, I don't get excited about something new. And, you know, I think that's, that's what's really cool about the game of football and how complex it is and how, how much you can learn from other people. And, um, you know, mastery is, is certainly something that I think, most coaches are striving for. And I think the best ones are able to kind of stay humble enough to admit that they don't know everything, but when they see something new or that works, they jump all over it and they, um, they never stop learning, which I think is, is really exciting. Well, as you brought kind of something up that um, I didn't really even know about myself or wasn't introspective enough until probably this year, uh, obviously lucky enough this year we got to win state. And so a lot of that came from just having really, really good kids, but uh we never did it in high school and college. I won some ball games, but never a, a championship. And then, so then this is the first time I've ever really won one as an adult or, you know, whatever you want to call it, high school up. And so, and so, um, you know, it was like, okay, then you win. And it's like, you're, I was kind of expecting to be like on a month long high of, <laughs> of being a winner and a champion and feeling great. And then it really almost passed within a few days, yeah. you know, and then it was like, 
oh, okay, what's going on? Well, luckily I'd kind of already taken care of myself enough that um, I wasn't the, the, you know, 22 year old kid that I, you know, that I was five years ago, but um, kind of grown up from that a little bit, but it really made me introspective and start looking at what's the part that I really do enjoy about football. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's that progress of it. It's, it's trying to, like you just said, walls is master every little thing. And I think that's, I'm really excited to go into this year coaching, knowing that, you know, more about myself. And I know everyone says it's about the process, but you know, and all that stuff. And that's real easy to hear and flush out, but it seems to be, you know, after this happened to, you know, to me, it was like, okay, I, I really truly do enjoy that. I enjoy when the guys start getting two steps in the ground on their whatever, on their double teams, yeah. you know, and, and that's, okay, I, we mastered that. Sometimes, you know, obviously the championship is, is the overall goal and it's exciting, but I had a lot more, you know, or as exciting days throughout the year when we finally grasp a concept or like you said, Walls, all, all week you work a certain blitz against a run and then on Friday night it happens and you pick it up. I, you know, I almost feel – just as much excitement from that as I did when we won, just because it was like, okay, you know, like you said, it's that chase for mastery. Yeah. And for me, it's, it was interesting because I, you know, in the, obviously a very competitive person want to win and all that, but I found myself um, in games that we were, were winning handily and some of being able to send some of those younger kids in. And I almost found myself coaching harder when they were in the game, because it was like, you know, I want to see you have the success that some of these older guys are having. And I think, I think that's, what's cool too, is like, you know, at that point, it's not just about the outcome. The outcome's kind of already in hand, but um, when you can see that kid that's been on the scout team all week long, and then he puts his foot in the ground and outside zone gets vertical and, and busts it for 30 yards. And you're like, man, like uh, it's cool to see those kids make, make the, or have those accomplishments and, and feel that sense of, um, that sense of like all that work paying off. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's not just about the, the end result. It's about how those guys are progressing no matter where they are out on the depth chart. Oh, I love what you're saying there, coach, because I mean, I think that's probably why all of us coach, we do get, you know, some form of satisfaction in seeing, you know, someone else be successful from maybe, you know, it, it's never a hundred percent, you know, the kid, or it's never a hundred percent the coach. Mm -hmm. Obviously he's the one out there doing it, but you know, we taught him a little bit of, of how to do that. <clears throat> but for me, it's even, I've even taken it a step further. It's even cooler when the kid comes back and you see the, the character in him and he thanks, you know, the offensive line or he's thanking the coach. He's like, coach, you told me how it was going to happen. And, and it did that. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's even the coolest thing than seeing the kid physically do it. All of a sudden, he just, you know, he's humble enough to come back and say, hey, man, you know, my teammates did it. Or, you know, that's the real stuff that we're instilling in those kids. And I know you're doing a lot of that through your seminary work as well at the school you're at. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and honestly, like one of, one of my favorite kids I ever coached didn't play college football, didn't continue playing after high school. He went and joined the Marines. And like that kid still calls me like once a month. Um, and it's, it's, it's things like that, that you realize that, you know, as much as we love the game of football, um, it's kind of that microcosm of life that all of our coaches growing up told us about. And then when you actually experience the other side of that and you see a kid go out and serve our country and he's still talking about some of the things that you worked on on the football field and how that translated into, um, his training, his deployment, um, and all that, that that's, that's really cool for me. Yeah, I've had a couple of kids that have gone on to serve, and I tell you what, I mean, I haven't had a kid go to one of the service academies, which to me I think would be the ultimate. 
yeah. you know, to, to be able to, to go watch some of those guys play, you know, eventually, because that's probably on the bucket list, you know, to go see Army, Navy. But, uh, you know, to hear the kids come back and talk about their service to the country, you know, I've had actually had a couple of them come back and even talk to the team about it. And it's, there's, there's no greater, to me, there's no greater person on this planet than the, the people that do that. I totally agree with that. No doubt. So coach, you, you know, you also talked about, you know, wanting to be able to show these kids like the faith, you know, that you have. And as you talked about going through seminary at first, are you at a private school or, or a public school? So I'm, I'm at a, I'm at a private school. Okay. Uh, Episcopal school. So that's, you know, obviously that lends me a little bit more. Uh, yeah, that was gonna, that was gonna be my question, question, yeah. because that I always think that's the, um, you know, the fine line. And it probably is even just at a private school, not, a, not purely for being in trouble, but you know, probably you don't want to be too pushy at times because that turns some kids off and, and, but you know, so that was kind of the question. How do you get that part of it, you know, just to, to your kids? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, um, I definitely am not somebody that is, um, is ex necessarily explicitly talking about um, faith all the time, but it's something that I just kind of try and weave those principles into my program. And um, whether it's conflict resolution, whether it's um, helping a kid walk through difficult times, um, you know, one of the, the rules we have with my coaching staff is like, yes, we're going to coach you hard. Um, we're even going to get on you and, and vocally kind of yell at you. I mean, I know within reason. Um, but the rule is if you, if you kind of call a kid out, you always at the end of practice have to put your arm around him and, and debrief that and, and let him know that um, you care about him, you respect him, you value him. Um, and I think that's, that's been huge for us is it's not necessarily um, me getting up in front of the team and talking about it or, or preaching a sermon or anything like that, but it's just the little daily things that we try and instill in our guys and, and that service mentality um, that they can, um, really make sure that, that they are taking care of their teammates and their teammates are taking care of them. And I think more than anything, like just weaving some of those principles that, that I've learned through uh, my seminary training, but just kind of living my life. Um, I think that that's kind of more important to me than necessarily getting up in front of everybody and being real, um, real vocal about it. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the main things about it is just, you know, having that relationship with, with a kid and, and being able to give that face-to-face -face feedback uh, that a lot of the stuff I've been studying, you know, with the, the new job I'm in is, is when you give people face-to-face -face feedback, that's when they remember it the most, you know? So, you know, rather than us standing up in front and talking about a speech, if you'll ask the kid afterwards, Hey, what do we talk about? Uh, you know, they'll, they might be able to, to recall something, but if you sit down face-to-face -face and, and give a kid feedback and, and you have that relationship built to where you can, you know, start to impart some of that knowledge, that makes a huge, huge impact on people. And I know Coach Harper's talked about, you know, uh, Mikado, who, who kind of worked with those guys at Houston. You know, I've had several people who, who've worked with me in one-to-one in -one capacities, and those are always the things that I remember. You know, I've listened to some spectacular speakers, and I honestly, I, I, I can only remember bits and pieces of it because, you know, it's such a broad scale. But if I ever sat down with that person one-on-one -on -one and, and got feedback from them, I can remember so much, but it all comes down to that relationship with the kid. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting because you guys, I mean, you guys are educators too, you know, whether it's teaching in the classroom or coaching on the field. And um, I've, I've done a lot of my own personal research into just how, how do kids learn best and what kind of leads to the best outcomes for, for students, whether it's in the classroom or on the field. And um, one study I came across, they, they did this study where um, 
they just used this little simple phrase with every student. They just said, we believe that you're capable of this standard and that's why we're holding you accountable to this standard. And they would just repeat that simple phrase over and over and over again. And those kids, their scores went up on their tests, their class, their school attendance went up, like everything went up just because an adult in a leadership position told them, we believe in, that you can meet this standard and we're going to hold you to this standard. Um, and that's something that we use all the time. Just that simple phrase. It's not rocket science, but you're telling a kid that you believe in him. And then you're telling that kid that you're going to hold him to it a standard because you believe in him. Um, and, and that works regardless of whether you're coaching football, coaching basketball, teaching science or history. You know, I think, I think that works across, um, across different subjects because it's, it's more about human development than just football. I think that's huge. And that's something that we've tried at broken arrow with our offensive line. You know, we tried to use that a lot um, talking about, you know, this is the standard we expect you to be at. And the only reason this is a standard is because we know that you guys can personally meet this standard. Um, and, and uh, I like how you said, you know, that you can bring that around to anywhere. You can bring that to the classroom to uh, you know, to my kids, if I need, you know, uh, it's something that I'm going to bring to them as well that, Hey, this is it. And, and also, you know, we believe that you can do it. And I think the tough part, at least for me is, is to remembering, you know, is to remember that, some of these kids in the classroom and in, in on the football field, they don't have someone at home that's telling them that. You know, some of them do. Some of them have great parents. But there are some that have never heard that maybe that someone believes in them that they can do one thing or the other. And so uh, especially if you're, you know, you grew up in a place where your parents believed in you and, and said it. And if you do that to your kids, then it's sometimes hard to remember, hey, not everyone grows up with that situation. You need to make sure you've you are, you know, you give them the opportunity by saying that to them. Absolutely. Well, and I think to your point, I think it was John Wooden who used to say, I don't treat my players equally. I treat them fairly. Mm -hmm. And like, there are certain kids that you have to invest a little bit extra in certain kids that you can't, you know, scream and yell at on the field. And you have to just be able to have different relationships with different kids. And it, you know, I think there's, it's always a tough line to toe. And you know, we can talk about schemes, we can talk about um, strategy all we want, but when it comes down to like those personal relationships you have with those players and what they're going to get done for you on the field, um, it really does come down to treating them fairly, but not necessarily totally equally across the board, which is something that I've really had to challenge myself and balance a little bit because you need the team to be cohesive and you want everybody to kind of feel like it's equal, but also certain kids need a push, certain kids need a pull. Um, and trying to figure out who they are and what makes them tick and that you know it it's tough to do and, and definitely a hard balance but it's something that we as a coaching staff have really tried to to be a little bit more in tune with um, but yeah I mean it, it's it's definitely tough to do and you can't do it perfectly you guys brought up a couple of really good points and it, it's some of the the things we've been working on this off season with our guys but you know really drilling into how to communicate with your teammates. You know, I think, I think a lot of times some kids, you know, you bring 120 or a hundred kids together, obviously they're not all going to be friends. You know, Harper, you said it, you know, we're, we're close, but we're not brothers. Right. Uh, but telling some of those kids who are in leadership positions, you know, quarterbacks, for example, you know, well, well what do I say to, to some of these guys when, when they're down or what do I say to a kid when he, when he makes a mistake? Cause Kids today, and, and heck, I should say kids today, but when I was even in school, 
I mean, wh what did we do when somebody messed up? We all just made fun of them. You know, I mean, that was, that was kind of the, the way it was, you know, the guys still do it, you know, ah, look at walls, you know, he dropped another ball or something like that, you know, and in all honesty, you're trying to kind of raise confidence, but you guys both said it, you know, telling you tell a person that you believe in them. That is the strongest thing you can tell somebody. Absolutely. So that's one of the things we've been really working on with our guys. It's like, Hey, you know, what do what do you say to my teammates? Dude, go over there, pick them up, tell them you believe in them. Hey, I got your back. I believe in you. Yeah. And all of a sudden now it just kind of lets all that pressure melt away. But I think it needs to be taught. You know, it's like the, the coach in the stands or the coach in the dugout that's yelling at the kid to throw strikes, throw strikes. Well, no kidding. I'm not trying to throw balls, you know, or Hey, catch the ball. You know, same thing with, you hear coaches say it all the time, be a leader. Well, what does that mean? Right. So we're trying to really teach that, teach to those kids. Here's some things you can say to your teammates in order to lead. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, I, I love the team dynamics when I played, it was, it was similar. Like you said, you know, everybody gives everyone a hard time and that, and that's part of the camaraderie of it. Um, but one of the things that yeah. we actually ended up having to kind of nip in the bud a little bit was um, kind of squashing um, really derogatory nicknames that guys had come up with. Um, and eventually, like, I kind of got to the point where I was like, all right, like, so-and-so is not going to be called so such-and-such anymore because um, we don't want to develop self-fulfilling prophecies in this program um, that this kid can't do this or can't do that. Um, and, and so, again, it, it's all a balance because you want that camaraderie. You want guys to be loose and joking around and feel like they have those relationships. But I think there's, all, like, a lot of times as guys, we can really tend toward um, tearing people down. And when those things start to, you know, really get to somebody, I think that's when your team leaders, your captains, your coaches even um, can step in and kind of redirect that energy and say like, hey, um, we're not going to go in a negative direction with this. Um, we're we're going to have a good time, but we're not going to take this kid down into the hole where he ends up quitting the team or ends up, you know, not fulfilling his potential because everybody else views him a certain way. Yeah, there's no doubt. And like you said, Walls, I think it's, it's a struggle that, that everyone has, not just that, but just how, what is the best way to be a leader, you know, and, and how do kids know that, you know, coaches are just now, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast, however many times about certain, you know, some kids need to be hugged up a little bit more, some need to be screamed at a little bit more and, or not screamed at, you know, whatever, um, and, and pushed a little bit harder. And that works for them. Well, you know, we're kind of asking our, our 16, 17, eight year old, 18 year old kids, Hey, be a leader and, and know the difference. And we may not even know the difference yet between these kids. And so, uh, that's part of their learning process as well. And like you said, Walls, you know, you can't just expect them to know that it's got to be something that, that you teach. And so that's always interesting to, to me is, you know, how do you teach that? How do you, uh, how do different coaches, uh, you know, put that together in their program? I've known that, that some do, you know, like a Wednesday thing where they teach different things, but then which sounds all good and it might be, but I'd like to see some of the studies from that. Okay. Did it actually improve your leadership? Did it not? Was that a waste of a Wednesday? Could we have been doing something else? And so mm -hmm. uh, that, that stuff's always really exciting and, and fun for me to learn. Yeah, I'd be interested to see some of the stats on it too. <clears throat> I don't really know how you'd measure it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't. I don't know either. This kid started with ten leadership units. <laughs> now he's up to It'd be easier. But it would be a lot easier. Maybe, uh, maybe Coach Casey's got some ideas on that since he was the the latest one to go to school. Yeah. Right. No. I mean. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I. Yeah, I, I think, again, with, with us, it, a lot of it's just planting seeds. You know, I mean, you, you talk about it through your, your faith work. 
you know, planting seeds and it just becomes the kid's choice, you know, because some kids are going to choose to not be a leader. You know, I mean, there's really, really good players out there who want to have nothing to do with being a leader and we can't force them to do it. But I think if you're, if you're planting seeds out there on, you know, some hints and some things that, that they can try and they can do and things they can figure out and things they can maybe experiment a little bit with. And then when they do have questions, now they know, know who to maybe go ask. To, to me, that's the, the thing. I think, you know, anytime you open up a can and say, hey, here's how you lead, yeah. you know, good luck. I mean, I think yeah, no, no. The, the, the class I'm teaching right now, you know, the, the textbook I have, you know, they, I asked the kids at the start of the year to define leadership. There's 214 different definitions of leadership. Wow. So, I mean, it's like Coach Harper says, you know, it, it, there's going to be many, many different ways to, to skin that cat. But I think any time we can just, you know, plant the seed and get them thinking about it a little bit, maybe now they explore it, now you'll see it start to take hold. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the most positive influence, as much as we want to be a positive force in these kids' lives, like the most positive influence is that, they end up having a lot of times with each other um, and they take what each other think of each other pretty seriously. Um, and honestly, that's one of the ways that we've grown our program is just instead of me going, and I do this, I mean, I go down the halls and try and recruit kids to play um, off the basketball team, off the baseball team, lacrosse team. I'm trying to get kids to play. I want as many kids to be a part of our program as possible. But really what I end up doing is, you know, with some of our upperclassmen, I'm like, I don't want you to go down that, to that freshman class. I, again, we're a smaller private school, but Go down to that freshman class and just ask every guy if he wants to play football um, and, and if he wants to be a part of what we're doing. Um, and I think, you know, when, when you get, a, you know, and this is more like of actually joining the team and, and starting to be a part of the program. But if you get kids uh, on your team that are excited about what you're doing enough to go tell another kid off the baseball team to come and play, um, I think you can really get something going there and develop some positive energy and momentum. And, um, that's definitely been a point of emphasis for us when you're at a smaller school and, you know, you guys might not be dealing with this quite as much, but, um, you need, you need as many kids to play as you can because, uh, you know, one sport athletes aren't going to get it done at a smaller school. So, um, trying to develop that leadership, um, of even just going and asking a kid to, to join the team or come to winter workouts or come to summer workouts. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're creating uh, a thing kind of in and of themselves, which is, which has been cool to watch develop for us. I think even at the, at the biggest schools, you know, there's always a, a couple athletes that are playing a different sport that would obviously really, really help you out um, on your, you know, on your football team. So I think it's always important. And I think one of the toughest parts at, at certain schools, and uh, it seems to be anyways, just from us talking to a bunch of different coaches is, is being on the same page as those, basketball coaches and the track coaches and the baseball coaches you know yeah. if you got a kid in football that you know has a real shot of being a really good football player playing college and getting some money for it you know you want this kid to in all of your kids you want them to be the best football players they can and then you know you're worried well if they're in baseball until you know whenever until uh june yeah. are, are they are they still which normally it's right it's no problem that it is it's competitive it's all that which is all really good but they also need to be working out while they're at baseball. They need to be, you know, doing stuff that's going to benefit them wholeheartedly. You know, in my opinion, even in baseball, I always think, you know, I know a lot of the steroids in baseball for a while or now maybe or for, 
uh, injury prevention and all that. But those guys that were really good at baseball were really jacked guys. I mean, they were huge. They were strong dudes. And so, you know, and I'm not saying get on steroids. I'm just saying to me, it only makes sense that that's right. Being in the weight room helps with all sports. And so you don't want to see your football kid, you know, go away for six months and they don't touch a weight because that baseball program doesn't believe in lifting. And, and now, you know, he's come back and it's, detrimental to him because he's not as big and physically fit and now he's you know like we've had a bunch of strength coaches on here or a few and say okay now he's more prone to injury he's not as fast he's not you know all these things because he did miss out on on so much lifting and and it can be done in a smart way obviously don't don't do you know chest or shoulders on the days pitching but it can be done you know at smart times yeah and and I think developing those relationships with other coaches on campus is is huge and you know, for me, that meant like, hey, I'll help the lacrosse guys write their off-season workouts because I want to get some of those kids on my team and they want some of my guys on their team. And we kind of do a little bit of a give and take. And um, again, it's it's always tough because you're balancing those, um, the interests of each coach on campus. But I think the you know, the best athletic departments of the programs and in, in schools that are successful, not just in one sport, but in several sports are the ones that are collaborating. And, um, you know, I... I know from my experience and and even coming to, to this school to be a coach to St. David's uh, football coaches are, kind of get this bad rap as being territorial, that they're not going to let their kids play other sports. And, um, and I've just been pushing my kids. I'm like, look, look at all the stats, look at all the multi-sport athletes that are playing in college in the pros, look at all the track guys that are going to the next level. You know, you can, you can benefit yourself by playing multiple sports and, uh, and then also just going to those basketball players and be like, look, man, I can throw you four back shoulder fades um, a game. You know, I'm, I, I want you on my team. And so you're just you're doing little things that you try and get them, get them involved, but also kind of share and collaborate a little bit. And um, yeah, I like doing stuff like that. Yeah, I think as long as you can get an athletic department all on the same page and say uh, working out is going to be our primary sport. Yeah, I think you'll be just fine. So as long as everyone's on that page, like, yep, you guys all need to lift. Everyone needs to buy into this. Yeah, Everyone needs to work out here and work out together. The rest of it will kind of just work itself out. It's when, you know, the soccer coach is over there. Well, I got my own program. We don't, we don't need to lift. And then the basketball coach does the same thing. And then pretty soon you have all these other ones, you know, balanced off and then you know now that now people are complaining well the football team's the only ones that use the weight room and I mean right, exactly it just creates a, it creates a whole different problem within an athletic department because honestly I mean all you need to say is hey everybody's going to lift this is your, the the number one thing you need to do we're going to lift right we're going to eat right and then you'll be able to play your sport second whichever one that might be alleviates yeah. every single problem but a lot easier said than done yeah and if the school's investing in it then it, it really does benefit all the programs and honestly protects the kids from all these all yeah. these people out there that are trying to make money off of them with personal training and some of the gimmicks that are out there that are really taking advantage of a lot of parents and a lot of kids with recruiting and stuff like that. And I've seen it happen quite a bit um, of just kids, somebody kind of selling a bill of good to, goods to a kid about, you know, if you do my personal training routine, you're going to get a scholarship. And in reality, you know, that's not, that's not the truth. And they're wasting a lot of money and a lot of time as opposed to having something that's um, that the whole school is invested in that's, you know, available to all the sports that really can help the, the water level rise for everybody. Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's about 
developing athletes and, and that really benefits all the sports. If you're, if you're a better athlete, you're going to be a better basketball player, football player, wrestler. Uh, if you're, if you're a better athlete, you're going to be better at those sports. Coach, you did say you're at a smaller school. How many, how many kids this year did you guys have out for your football team? I mean, we were, yeah, we were small. It was, it was probably 35 kids um, in the past, you know, before I got there, teams have been as small as 18, 20 kids. Hmm. Um, so our numbers are growing a little bit. I think on the whole, you're seeing numbers go down in football with, you know, the fears of concussions and injuries and different things like that. Um, and so part of the deal for us, even just to get those 35 was, um, adjusting our practice schedules. We had to, um, you know, hit a little less during the week to try and keep guys healthy and, and convince some moms to let their, let their boys play and, and, you know, just be creative in the ways that we sold the program um, to try and do everything in a, in a very sound way, but also to um, make it a, an attractive program to a mom who's worried about her, her son getting hurt. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting to me with, with the smaller group of, of players, you know, my dad, you know, at broken arrow were you know, a hundred some kids. So we got plenty in practice to go, you know, a scout team and, and very college like, but my dad's a head coach at a, a smaller school, Berry Hill. And, and they've yeah. got, you know, probably more than 30, but they've had years where they've had in the thirties of kids, totally. you know, in, in the time he's been there. And so it's always interesting to me. I get to talk to him obviously whenever I want, but um, yeah. is talking, how do you guys do practice? You know, is it, you know, and, and he, like he said, you know, your ones are going on offense. And so you've got to try to get the best you can out there on defense and you're not going to get a great look every time. And then now when it's defensive time, now the defense has to go over. Now it's still almost all the same kids. And so it's like, you know, how do you get that? And a lot of, you'd hope that your quarterback could stay on one side, but there's a lot of years where he's got to go both ways. And so um, it, it always seems interesting to me how guys do that. And, and I know that even at, at like uh, at where I'm at, we've had different, we still, you know, share kids on offense and defense and we've done it, a, you know, a bunch of different ways. And so, uh, you know, we've had defensive emphasis days, we've split practices, we've shared during practice. It's always, uh, you know, always trying to find that good answer of how to, you know, work these guys on offense, defense, but then also get a good scout look for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I think for, for me, the challenge has been uh, more, than, more than even the team and, you know, Skelly and inside drill and pass rush and all that is finding individual drills that can benefit somebody both on an offensive and, and a defensive side of the ball. Um, so, you know, teaching very similar footwork when we're open field tackling and when our receivers are stock blocking. So mm -hmm. trying to teach the same footwork. So even though they're working on blocking, they're still kind of working on tackling with their footwork. Um, so like different things like that, where we just try and get creative and, and obviously like in an ideal world, you have a lot more time and a lot more kids. Um, but when you're, when you're trying to condense practice into a manageable time and make sure the kids are getting the inf the relevant information that they can actually take to the field, you just have to get creative with the ways that you're teaching certain things so that there can be a lot of crossover um, from off offense to defense and vice versa. Walls, isn't that what uh, Shenander was talking about at Nebraska? Was that who was telling us about that? Yeah. They had their, their certain words, and that way when they're in special teams, they could still give those certain words. And, like, yeah. the two lead-up yep. words were, you know, this, and then the third word would be different for tackling or blocking, but it was still all yeah. the same progression and all the coaches knew it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, brilliant.
Yeah, he'd go. I didn't come up with that. I stole it from somebody. I forget. <laughs> yeah, it's always somebody smarter than us, but hey, at least we're smart enough to listen. That's right. Um, yeah, 90, 95% of coaching football is plagiarism and just doing it absolutely. in an authentic way, I guess. Absolutely. And always give credit to the, to the other people. Don't, don't claim that you came up with something. You know, I always thought it was funny, you know, Rich Rod and them would say they invented the zone read. Right. You know, some <laughs> high school in Portland, Oregon probably invented it. You know, right, I knew exactly. about it. But, yeah. but I mean, you know, yeah, Shenander had said that, and, and that was what allowed Coach Frost at Nebraska, you know, who played quarterback in college and then he played in the NFL on the defensive side. Yeah. So he, he thought it, it brought a lot of credibility when the head coach would teach, you know, blocking, and then he would also teach them how to tackle. Yeah. And it would be the same, the same way that they'd be saying it. So, I mean, I think it was like long stride, short stride, shuffle, shoot. Yeah. I think were the, yep. the four things that they could always say, and then kids would know where they broke down. Hey, you know, you didn't shoot your gun. You didn't shorten up your stride. You know, there's always a point in there where they could break it down, but everybody was saying the same thing. Yeah. So, and, and even at the college level, you're seeing so many of these guys transition positions um, from offense to defense. I mean, you'll yes. see a kid show up one spring and all of a sudden he's a receiver or he's a corner. He's, you know, offensive and defensive line. You see a lot of shuffling there. And so I think it's not just the high school level that we're dealing with a lot of these things. I mean, a, apart from the complete athletic freaks that are totally dominant on one side of the ball, like being able to have transferable skills on offense and defense make you give you some staying power even at the next level yeah it's called being a football player right <laughs> that's what walls that's what walls always said about his quarterbacks you know that was his it was the most important thing yeah your quarterbacks but number one your football players first right yeah now if you you should all every kid should be able to run and tackle and you know block people i mean i, I don't I don't think you should should have to be able to, to specialize, especially, you know, when kids are in those those youth ages. I mean, that's what we did. Yeah. We'd line up in the backyard and no one would say, well, I'm just going to be the all-time center. Right. You know, I'm going to snap the ball. I, screw that. I'm going to run around, run routes. I'm going to go tackle guys. I'm going to throw the ball. I mean, yeah. I think that the more things that you can do and the, the more athleticism that you have, obviously it's going to help you out. I mean, I, I used to do DB drills with my offensive linemen in the summertime just because yeah. they loved it. And they like, Hey, look at man, I can do this. I'm a good athlete. And they felt Ooh. better about themselves. Ooh, so, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I was always about that stuff. Yeah. Well, I was a, I was a wing T quarterback in high school and I quickly realized I was a safety in college. When I, was <laughs> so I think just, just have being flexible enough with, I mean, some kids are end up again, it's the, the whole privatized specialized training stuff where they get locked in and don't realize that they might even have more potential um, at another position. I remember coaching a quarterback where I was like, man, dude, you're six, four, you have a long stride. You're an athletic kid. Like if you played receiver, you could really do something at the next level, but he was so kind of focused on, on being a quarterback. And, and so I know sometimes it, it ends up being those quarterback types uh, more than anything. But, but again, um, if I think it comes down to also somebody being able to tell, that kid, just like somebody told me, hey, man, you could be a really good safety. And I was like, all right, time to, time to drop the ball and get on the other side. <laughs> I think, uh, like, NDSU, is, again, is one of our favorite programs here on Run the Power. But I think defensively for them, I want to say they have, like, five or six former QBs from yeah. high school, and they all play defense for them. It's so, like all their DBs, basically, and I think a couple of their linebackers. And yeah. Maybe even some of their, their defensive linemen. But, like, all these QBs – in high school and now they all play defense for him and it's and it's twofold I mean everyone always says hey you know the best athlete on the field is going to be your quarterback when you're at a smaller school 
right. which he normally is. And then the second thing is usually those guys are football smart. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to teach those guys more schemes and they make a lot more plays because they think like a quarterback. They get lined up. They, they study the game. They're used to watching film. It just makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Well, well who's the tackle out of OU? He was, uh, I guess, uh, dating myself now. It's probably seven or eight years now. But uh, mm-hmm. Lane Johnson, he was a yeah. quarterback. Yeah. Up into junior college, I think. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, he was. To be a really big time tackle now. Like you said, it's just so many transferable things, Walls. I mean, just knowing football and how well that, that helps you. I've always said that about the offensive line, and, and I'm not the only person. I'm sure millions of people have said it. But for me, when I was playing, like, I never even – and it was something I had to learn to do as a coach because not everyone thinks this way. But I never knew – I couldn't tell you most of the zone rules um, that we had or gap scheme rules. I didn't really know all the rules when I was playing football. I was just – I was smart enough to know every offensive line position. So yeah. I'd get up there at right guard and I'd go look over and I'd have to say, okay, I know the left tackle has got to block him, 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 him. Okay. That means I've got to be blocking this guy. That's right. how I did everything. I knew zone left. We're all blocking this zone. So we've got to get these guys accounted for. I could see what everyone else is doing. And that would, you know, allow me to pick up who I needed to pick up or maybe even make some things that probably would, shouldn't have been in the rules, but I knew that no one else was for him or, or whatever it was. And so, I always try to start off, start off with the, the, you know, the very necessity guaranteed rules. I wish I would have known those a little bit better in college. So always try to start off with that. Hey, gap scheme, you've got your inside gap. You're stepping with this foot zone, your, your play side zone, stepping with this foot. But then as they get a little bit older and, and even as young kids, I try to teach them the whole overall scheme of the play. So yeah. if it is all jumbled up and stuff's crazy, you can at least look at the play as a whole and know, okay, now my part is block this guy. And I love, too, like running plays, you know, letting the offensive line know where is the running back. <laughs> you know, I, there, there's so many coaches out there that, that, you know, teach the player, they draw it up on the board, but they don't let the, the offensive line know where's the play hitting, where's the running back going to be. Is he in the gun? Is he offset? Is he the pistol? You know, how deep is he? Where's he going to get the handoff? I mean, all those things make a huge difference for the offensive line because they've always got their back to them. Yeah. So I think that the more you can teach, hey, here's where we want the, pl- the play to hit, the kid's like, oh, okay, yeah, we want to try to funnel the ball here. Or, you know, if, if, the, if the nose tackle's sitting in a, in a gap and we're trying to run inside zone, hey, we need to move the, the nose, right? We don't want to work against each other and keep the nose right there and we run right into each other. You know, let's, let's work angles to get this guy displaced from a gap. So I think – you know, really teaching the intricacies of that, like, you know, Coach Harper's talking about, becomes huge for those kids. You know, I had a problem for a long time throwing wide receiver screens because when we'd throw the screen out there, we'd have a kid trying to block or leverage. Well, the guy would go inside and he'd go make the play. Right. Well, that's my fault as the coach. So I changed, I changed how, how we coached it, and I just said, hey, build a wall in front mm-hmm. of where we're going to catch the ball. Yeah, yeah. And once we started doing that, you know, and rather than going out and chasing the guy and attacking him and I'm going to put him down, just kind of, yeah. you know, just kind of shuffling and almost playing defense and, and just getting into position where the guy was going to catch the ball. Well, now the defender was going to run right into you. Yeah. And now I could teach the kid how to leverage it, where to put your hat, when to let go, when to know that the, the, the guy's left and, and don't, don't get a penalty. And we were so much better at it. But it's just something simple like that. Hey, here's where the ball is going to be caught. Here's where we should try to be blocking it. So I think that gets overlooked a lot because maybe we get too into what we're doing up on that whiteboard. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm definitely a victim of that. And I had, you know, had 
all these great ideas going into it. And then really the test of it all is, can your kids execute it? Um, and, and that really, for me, changed a lot because there were so many things that I would draw up and present. And then I, was re I realized, you know, like, that's not a good scheme for who we have out there. Um, and that's not putting him in a position to be successful. Um, and a lot of times I just kind of had to crumple it up and, and toss it in the wastebasket on the way out. And, um, you know, I think that's, that was, that really helped me develop a lot of even the kids giving input of like, Hey coach, that, that step on counter, like it's, I'm running into the back of him or I'm, I'm, I'm too late or too early. My running backs, you know, would, would kind of give me some info on that. Or when we were doing power read or toss read or different things like that, where, you know, them letting me know what's comfortable and what, what reads make sense for them. Um, again, sometimes you have to, um, kind of lay down the law on certain things, but I think having their input of, you know, this, this step or this counter step makes sense for me as a running back, um, helps me iron out some of the things that, that I was trying to do on the whiteboard that, uh, I might've gotten a little too cute. <laughs> well, well, Coach, coming from uh, playing both sides of the ball, I'm kind of interested, where'd you start off uh, just leaving uh, playing into coaching? What side of the ball did you go to? Did you gravitate more to maybe? So, I mean, I played safety, so I just kind of figured I'd um, jump in as a secondary coach. So my first year, I was a secondary coach. Um, my second year, I was the head coach. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but, uh, things changed pretty quickly. Um, and honestly, like that's kind of the genesis of, of me even getting on Twitter to begin with. I was like, I need to figure out offense. Um, I didn't know a lick about offensive line, um, didn't know blocking schemes, didn't know pass protection. Um, and so honestly, I started the, my, my Twitter account just to start learning about offense. Cause it, I mean, it had been a while and I played a, an old school under center wing tee in high school. So I, w I didn't want to do that. Um, and so I was just kind of trying to learn as much as I could. And uh, my first year calling plays um, was not great. Um, <laughs> we, we struggled because I was stubborn and I did definitely did not put my, my guys in the best position to be successful. Um, and I, I just felt like I learned a ton from year one to year two. Um, and honestly, you know, I know you guys are, are all about the offensive line and running the power. And we did quite a bit of that, uh, quite a bit of counter. And I, and I just started investing my mental energy in learning offensive line play, learning um, what the guys are doing up front. And I was like, I need to learn this because this is the base. Um, this is the, like the base element of football, what's happening up front. Um, and so between year one and year two, you know, again, I was calling plays. I was passing the ball way too much. Um, but I was calling plays and, uh, between year one and year two, I actually had an opportunity to coach, um, a team in China. I took a group of us guys over to China wow. and I was supposed to coach the safeties. Um, and I showed up to training camp. We had a, about a week long training camp in Ohio before we went to China and, uh, coach, head coach said, uh, you know, we're going to need you to coach D line. Do you think you can do that? And I was like, Oh boy. Um, I was not prepared to coach D line here, but I think, having spent basically a year obsessively studying the offensive line, I had an idea of, you know, what I wanted my defensive line guys to do. And it benefited me tremendously. Um, and so to be honest with you now, um, I don't spend a whole lot of time on the back seven. I'm, I'm really uh, dialed in with the guys up front on both sides of the ball and think that that's, um, that's where things are won and lost more than anything. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, for me, it was, um, I decided when I got into coaching that I was going to start with the thing I knew least about and go from there. And 
it was actually offensive line was what I knew least about. And so that's kind of what I've invested the past couple of years learning and, and watching as many uh, tight copies of film as I could. <laughs> and that's so, in my opinion, I'm also an offensive line guy, so I'm a little biased, but I think it's one of the smartest things you can do because uh, it's one of the least sexy things to do. You know, it's yeah. really cool to go out there and, and uh, you know, figure out your concepts and, and your past concepts and, you know, I know smash, the corner does this, so it doesn't matter, I can never be stopped and all this and this and this. And But um, like you said, if you don't know, you know, some of the intricacies even behind running, like not even just be able to draw it up on the whiteboard and everyone block everyone, but like Coach Wall said, you know, is it outside zone from the gun or is it, you know, under center? Because that changes everything to the offensive lineman. Is it, you know, uh, a bunch of – are we running – uh, against three, four, we run an inside zone to the tight end or away from them because that changes all of our angles. And so yep. knowing all that little stuff, you know, really, really helps um, a, a coordinator, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I had to coach the D-line the, the first camp I ever worked. I started out at, at Augustana, and they gave me Colorado to recruit. So I, I called my buddies at, at CU and said, hey, you know, I want to come out and work the camp just so I can, you know, see some of the kids are going to obviously slip through the cracks with you guys. So I literally, I got out there, same kind of deal. I was going to be coaching receivers and tight ends and they didn't have any D line coaches. It's like, I got it. Let me take, let me take the D line. So they'd, they'd break off and take the D line. Just all I, all I kept telling them to do is just get off the ball, go make plays, <laughs> get off the ball, get your hands on them, go make plays. And they did. That's all they did the whole time. Like, man, you guys are playing really hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm coaching the heck out of them. <laughs> just let them play, man. Well, Coach, uh, kind of running up on an hour now, so uh, the last question I usually like to ask guys is uh, when you're watching an offensive line play, uh, what's some things that, uh, you know, they would be doing that make you think highly of their coach? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, I think I maybe heard somebody else mention this, but, you know, the way that they're helping each other in pass protection, passing things off and communicating is a big one. Um, but also just, you know, anytime I, I see a gap scheme, whether it's, you know, power counter, um, I, I love dart. That's a personal favorite of mine um, with the tackle pulling or tackle wrapping. Yeah. Um, but guys going in there with a plan and their footwork is crisp and clean, their, their hands are inside. Uh, and even if they're not necessarily getting a ton of movement, I mean, sometimes you're just running into guys that are uh, that are bigger and a little bit more physical than you, but the guys that are, that are, uh, their technique is crisp. I mean, obviously that's something that's really impressive to me, but um, you know, I think one of the things that I love, one of the reasons I love watching the service academies uh, play is because when, when anybody breaks a run, you see all five of those guys down there in the end zone. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're never lagging behind the play. Um, and so I know not everybody runs um, under center triple option or anything like that, but uh you know, when you see that kind of effort from guys, um, I think that's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool to see, too, that, you know, the service academies are, are winning games. You know, a team like Army to win 10 games and, yeah. and honestly take o, OU down to the wire at OU. Okay. I mean, to me, it just, it just speaks a lot of, you know, about what, what discipline and, and effort, you know, and, and playing for each other really, really mm -hmm. means. That's That stuff, if you can get anybody to do it, you know, I think you're automatically going to have a chance, but it's really, really fun to see that, that those kids and, and those types of principles that you're trying to instill do work. It's not just the five-star talent. 
Well, Coach, we had a blast, man. It was a whole lot of fun uh, getting to talk some football with you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I really, I really have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing and um, giving great resources for high school, college coaches, guys that are trying to learn a little bit more about the game and particularly what's happening up front. We the same with you, Coach. I, I love uh, coming across your, your videos on the feeds. I know there's a, a lot of uh, coaches ask me all the time, like, hey, who do, I, who do I follow on Twitter? Who puts out good stuff? And you're always one of the guys I give them because, you know, like I said, I think you, you put a lot of time into it. You're meticulous. And I, and I know you have a passion for it. And those are always kind of the guys that, that me and Coach Harper gravitate towards. So it was a blast to have you on, man, and keep up the great work. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.